Welcome to today's episode of Converging Conversations. My name is Onika Jefferson Cornelius, your host and founder of Convergence Solutions, LLC. Converging Conversations is where we converse with an amazing leader or leaders who's joining us to share their story, personal or professional, and show how they've made the connection between who they are, what they do, and how they serve others. These conversations are designed to pique your curiosity, challenge your thinking, and encourage you to unleash more of you in the world. Today's a special, special day, so hello, everyone. I don't take it lightly when I get the opportunity to bring members of my tribe into this space. It is safe and it is sacred and it's always awesome when we're able to explore our stories. And when you have two amazing people that come and are willing to explore their stories together, amazing, amazing things happen. And so today we have two amazing men that are coming together to share and to have what I hope is the first of many healing and informative and curious times, right? And experiences together as we explore a conversation in black and white. And we're calling this the men's edition. I believe at some point I'll, I'll do another for women, but this one was so close to my heart and it's been one I've been carrying for quite some time. And to have two people that I care about so, so, so much is quite an honor. My first guest, Kaysan Morris, is a respected expert in corporate skill learning, life design, and career success. Kay is a proud father of four. He has nearly two decades of experience in learning, achieving 10 promotions across five different sectors, rising to the position of manager and director and VP of learning development for fast-growing startups and Fortune 500s. He has also started multiple socially conscious business ventures and has has increased his salary 10 times along this journey. As a chief learning officer, Kay San focuses on enabling the development of real skill learning, talent development, career mobility, culture inside companies, and he establishes the workforce development experience for the future with stability, equity, and dynamism in all elements of the function, be it strategy, structure, people, process, tech, and systems, you name it. Kaysan also helps underserved and ambitious professionals accelerate their best lives and work for maximum success by empowering them with the clarity, confidence, and strategies they need to build the mindsets and skill sets to design the work they love, their careers, and to manage their energy for increased fulfillment in life. Kaysan teaches people how to use design thinking to tackle the inequity problems of career development and life, wayfinding, a focus on dismantling systems of oppression and creating a more just, sustainable, and equitable society. My second guest, Colin Mulholland. Colin is fascinated with complex systems and energized by helping disrupt organizational patterns that keep capable teams from delivering their best work. His nonlinear career has spanned from being an internal operator at a startup turnaround to consulting Fortune 50 companies. And he's personally experienced the overwhelm that comes with the current volume and pace of organizational change. Colin spends most of his days coaching leadership teams toward more human and adaptive ways of solving big problems and has a specific curiosity for education, healthcare, and technology markets. When Colin's not at work, he's likely on a family walk with his beautiful wife, rolling around on the floor with his eight-month baby girl, or pushing conversations into a deeper level of curiosity around a dinner table. Colin's life mission is to co-create systems that progress humanity toward a more just world. I, I'm hitting a milestone. I actually have a co-host today for today's session. I am joined by Ms. Samara Cornelius, who is a new, H, a new and budding HR consulting analyst working with us here at Convergence Solutions. Um, she had a little bit of an end. We've been talking, I've been hearing a lot of this new thing about Nepo babies, right? They've been talking about nepotism a lot. So <laughs> uh, I think she's actually benefited from that. So she's actually joining me for this conversation as we walk a little bit and sit in the space of curiosity and grace and healing with Colin and Kaysan. Gentlemen, I am so glad to have you both. How are you doing today? Good. Um, I appreciate you uh, in advance. I appreciate you all um, for holding space to have such candid conversations in this context. So. I, I appreciate it because it, it's it's needed. 
um, for others and needed for myself at this time. And to share the coming from a place of curiosity, grace, and healing. I mean, you know, today's conversation was, as I share, was really special for me because I've known the two of you for several years in different spaces and our paths have crossed. We've had the, the opportunity to ideate and solution together on many occasions. I've seen you both become, you know what? I've known you both since before you were family men, before you were like these dads, which is like amazing. It's amazing to, to be on the outside looking in and watching that and watching you evolve to become these family men and fathers, leaders, thought leaders in the talent and people space, individually and collectively. Thank you both for coming into this space. One of the things that I, I've observed at just being in the talent and people space as we talk about it is how it's, I think over the years, there's been this focus. It seems like it's been a ladies only space, right? We talk about HR, people functions, talent, the focus on authentic people strategy and care in the workplace as it's shifted over the last several years. I'm interested in how either of you to or navigated this space. What brought you here? I'm happy to to jump in on on that. I think brought me into thinking about learning uh, in the in the corporate space is the the human experience. It's the idea that change and growth is the the only constant in work and life outside of work. And what that did was it was a very uh, sort of nascent time where uh, folks were really being introduced to experiences, uh, not so much like I'm marketing a product, but I'm marketing a lifestyle. Right. And in order to make those experiences happen for these, these high-end clients, teaming and the collaboration and the learning and the stretching that had to take place um, was transformative. And it, it made me very, very curious about, well, we think about learning and development, at least at that time, there was almost like a stopping point in the logic. Like, hey, I got to do, I got the degree to get the job. I'm done. Right. Um, and seeing it happen in the workplace and the dynamism that was there, and it just it it got me so curious. And and that's what springboarded me into additional education along that thread. You know, what is business education? What is workplace learning and org performance? because I, I had taken a um, an education break at that time to get business experience. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it helped me mine. And, and that was my segue in to this space, you know, agnostic of, of sort of my, my gender or expectation. But then when I did land in it, to your point, um, I, I did happen to notice that I was, was one of a few. Yeah. Um, from a from a gender vantage and from a race vantage. That's, that's my my story was helping people perform at the onset early in my career really led me to wanting to to build the acumen um, and harness that craft to help others. Well, it's really interesting. it's it's um one thing if I if I can see or say that I hear a theme that happens is so many times people, and I know that there are people who of course choose, you know, people, talent, uh, you know, as, as their focus, their discipline. But so many times I find that people kind of stumble into this amazing space, right? It's something piqued their curiosity, something that just, I think, intrinsically drives you when you really care about people to look for ways to improve experiences and systems and places and spaces for them. And you, you find yourself there, right? You know, just, be, just because of how your heart leans. Colin, what are your thoughts? I think the word nonlinear is very true of, of my career. Early career inflection point, didn't know what I wanted to do. So my dad said, if you don't know what you want to do, go sell something. Uh, that landed me in an account manager role uh, doing IT staffing for large corporations in Atlanta. Uh, from there, into a a turnaround, education turnaround in, in South Atlanta that had the opportunity to, to start partnering with uh, these four public schools that were the lowest performing in the state of Georgia, like disrupt, uh, disrupt patterns of 
uh, like suffering, I think would be the the word that I would choose and trying to find a more creative path uh, in the education space than what had been offered to these communities in the past. Uh, and then from there, I, I moved into an internal organizational change role in a large healthcare IT company. So what became clear for me along the way was like, there are these wildly capable people that are full of joy and energy outside of work. And we put them in this system allegedly designed to, for them to work in. There are all of these blockers that are getting in the way of individuals and teams best work. So what is there? What is the set of skills that I can acquire to help these teams do their best work? I'll stop there. I, um, I found myself moving much more into the business than trying to figure out the HR side yeah. uh, for various reasons. Uh, but um, that's kind of where it started and, and it's led me here. I hear you. I hear you. Thank you. You know, and I throw this out, this one out to, to both of you. I'm interested in your perspectives, you know, and you both mentioned it, you know, navigating this world of work and the difference be differences between how we live our life, how we aspire to live our life, and then how that shows up in work or not, and systems that are not built or conducive for me to bring all of that goodness and that energy into it. And so when we think about how we navigate the world of work and how it's changed, for better or worse, what stands out for you? And then what has impacted you most? Onika, if I can jump on this and springboard off of something that Colin said um, and, and hopefully answer that question and expand on one of Colin's points that I think threads the needle here. Um, Colin, you mentioned the point around, you know, figuring out and doing your wayfinding and having the guidance from your father to say, hey, try sales. And that was your, your springboard into curiosity and going into this nonlinear path. You know, I, I think about my journey and feeling like I had the world on my back that I had to succeed. Um, there wasn't a choice in doing that. So my nonlinear wayfinding was a constant push to keep going because I didn't want to be where I was. And I wanted to also set example for others. Um, even though I, I didn't know exactly my pathway. I just knew that, you know, stopping was not an option and I had to invest in myself constantly, um, to do that. So when I, when I think about to your question, Onika, the, the sort of world of work and this push from a community perspective, um, I think when you come from a, a position of, you know, being a bit more disenfranchised, um, you know, work is a way out. Work is a, a necessity for you to try to change and transform your way of being. Right. Um, and I, I, I find that that driver, like I didn't have the permission to be curious. I just had the permission of knowing that I had to do for myself and in turn, do for others and then that curiosity was more of a force function yeah. than a space for me to navigate it feels very much like you know depending upon you know how you grew up it's it's that mantra i've got to make something happen I, I i gotta make something pop right it's not to your point about curiosity or exploration it's it's about survival it's about living and it's about potentially taking your family someplace you never you know, has not been experienced. And that's, that's, that, that's a powerful thing. We talk about these experiences. You know, one of the things that I think is really important when we talk about lived experience and Colin, I'd love to get your take on this. You know, are the lived experiences of black and white men intrinsically different? Or are they more similar than many of us or, or people are willing to see? Yeah, let me try to, do what Kason just did and, and back into 
to that prompt. And it got the um, coming out of school, I had one financial goal, which was I want to be able to go to a dinner table with my family and not worry about the receipt. That was my one financial goal. And my greatest fear that I still have is being a 55-year-old gray-haired white man that was numb to the world because of the striving that led me to age 55. So when I thought about what am I going to need to unlearn, what work did I need to put in place in my 20s and early on in my career so that the trajectory of 55 with broken relationships, without a lot of peace, with this like striving and empty soul wouldn't be true. And that work led me to start going introspectively into how do I come across when I'm in a shared space with someone else. And it led me into this idea of accepting that it is the systems of our country, the systems of our work worlds are designed in favor of me because of the skin that I have, because of the uh, neighborhood and the zip code that I grew up on. And Onika, we've had some conversation around this over some coffees over time. Uh, and it doesn't help me to feel guilty about that. And it doesn't serve anyone else to sit in a place of guilt. But I do need to accept that as true. And, and just to like name that I can, I, I, I hear Kaysan sharing like, the fire burning in him came from a place of like need when mine was allowed to come from a place of curiosity. And I think that's privilege from, from my view uh, and how I see it. It's a powerful revelation, Colin. Yeah, you're right. We've, we had some of those, um, the, we, 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 we've asked the hard questions, right? We've had those, statements and comments. And, and I've been in spaces with other people of my tribe and we, we've gone there and it's like, you know, learning from one another and choosing to heal and ask hard questions or answer hard questions and reconcile them is not about a desire to shame or condemn anyone, right? It's not about, you know, um, guilt or putting that weight on anybody. That's too heavy for anyone to carry just like hate is, just like the unforgiveness is. So thank you for, for that transparency. It is it is a journey I dare say we're all on, right? It may look different. There may be different lenses that we're having to, to shed, right? And belief systems we're having to dismantle a piece at a time, uh, an error at a time, a trauma at a time, if we're honest, but it's the same journey we're all on. I'm interested that you made an interesting statement about, you know, this 55 year old, gray haired, older white man. I'm I'm curious, where did that picture come from? Yeah, I, I think that I, I grew up in a family that um, loved gathering as a core group and even as like a larger family. And I was fortunate to have a dad that was very boundaried about his relationship with, with work. And also, as I was like socialized to what success looked like, which was success was the assumption of other people's bank accounts and the few paths it was to get there. As I started to look at those roles and, and that work in the world and who was holding those roles, and I started to see like in pursuit of the perception of economic success, people lost touch with who they were, who they were becoming, what mattered to them as a, as a human being. Um, 
and and that's kind of what was clear to me at an early age. I didn't know what to do with it, which led to my bouncing around. <laughs> but uh, that that was clear to me. That's powerful. Imagery and what we see is so pivotal, right? Which Onika, we... can I can I yes, jump please. in on that? Go, a go. little bit go <laughs> so that that's a very powerful contrast to the experience i think about um in having role models um having those anchors to to use as a as a way to figure out you know your persona for what not only what you potentially even though you didn't know what you wanted to be but to clarify what you didn't want to be. Um, you know, the image for me as a young black male um, growing up in one of the most uh, socioeconomical disenfranchised districts in New York City, in the Bronx, those images were a little bit different, a lot different. Um, you know, non-cohesive households, um prioritization on you know the look and optics of wealth and you know the the idea of a family having a different context it it became a place of knowing that this wasn't it and feeling a need for more based on the images you would see in media at that time, you know, the images of the quote unquote good life, the family dynamic wasn't representative of the situation that I experienced. And I had the wherewithal to make an internal choice because there were two ways out, you know, from a narrative. It was you either, you either were athletic and you had a great jump shot or you were doing some kind of illegal activity to build your wealth and lifestyle. And that narrative ran throughout my family. And I made a conscious choice to say, well, my third option is me betting on myself, betting on what I, my ability to learn and grow and I don't know where I got that from, but I'm thankful that I that I I had it. And I felt the need at that point, very early stage, you know, where maybe at some points people would have their semblance of what they would call a childhood. That narrative was embedded in me very, very early. And I feel like I didn't get to have that which is why um, my sense of fatherhood and fathering is a very, very powerful narrative for me now because I have to avail my children to every opportunity to have that. So it's, it's very, very interesting just reflection and I appreciate you sharing, Colin. I think what's, what is beautiful about the, the, the similarity of two totally opposite experiences is that in that moment, sort of assessing the surroundings and looking at everything going on and making a decision that that would not be you, right? It was, you know, Colin, you, you seeing everything and seeing, okay, there's the facade of this thing that is not genuine, it is not honest, it is not real, and Okay, having literally probably the other right epiphany of like this is real, real, and it and and I still need to make a different choice. I think that that speaks again to there is so much more congruence than we we tend to think of if we just look at things from the surface. Absolutely. Yeah. Can I explore that a little bit, Anika? Yeah. Um, the. Uh, congruence in the emotion that I feel like from hearing caissons is like rooted in a part of my childhood. Uh, 
which was the lived experience of uh, playing basketball uh, from age six to, to 18. And my dad's take being from New York was like, we're not going to play basketball with the baseball kids. And like, that was a very clear take in Jacksonville because like the basketball scene was a North Jacksonville black dominated sport. Uh, and what that meant for me at age 21 was that I had best friends that were living a totally different life in the same city as I was. Mm -hmm. So I was deeply exposed to it. And unfortunately, like with like energy in my body sharing, like the path was twofold for my friends. It was master's degrees, playing in the NFL, or four of them were victims of gang violence and were dead. Wow. And I, I share that because it's part of my identity that like I still sit with today. And it's also part of the mask that I've worn to date in terms of like conversations around race. Because it was easy for me to sit with this idea that I had a lived experience that was much different than most white folks that I grew up with. And also there wasn't much of this discourse, even, be, even with the 5,000 hours that we spent together in friendship and in play and in competition. Right. It makes me ask like, where was this conversation mm. in those moments? And, and I'm curious of like, what might me not wearing that mask in those early days have looked like, but I'm glad we're here today, I think is how I, how I sit. That's beautiful. It's um, the reality of it is, I think as adults, I, I've often had the thought that we spend so much of our time as adults, you know, we spend our, our, our time as young people learning and we spend our time as adults unlearning, right? It's really, what do I, it's not about gaining. It's like, what do I have to shed, right? <laughs> what do I have to take off? What do I have to surrender? to get either to get back to who I was or to not go back to who I was, right? Or how I thought or how I saw things. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. And I don't know that we'll have a t a, an opportunity to unpack this, but the, the confluence of sport was really interesting. This is a conversation that even my daughter and I have had when she was in, you know, doing some cheerleading and sport and we were going to basketball games, interestingly enough. And one of the things that came up was there was a passion. There was an energy. There was a frenetic kinetic energy with all of the young men that were playing. And my daughter noticed it. And it was like, you know, mom, at my school where the team is not as diverse, everybody gets to play for sport. But these young men that are playing from the other schools where, that are in black communities, they're playing for a job. They are playing to have to, to work, to provide. And it's like, you know what, wait a minute, 12, 13, 14. And the truth is there is already a thought in the seed planet, right? How do I, how do I parlay this? Because the, the energy was so like there were no smiles on the court. It was not, this was not, ooh, friendly competition. Ooh, you know what? It's just a game. There's no such thing as it being just a game. The truth of the matter is this was, how am I going to parlay this into a way to produce income, to create a life, to get, to, to move up, to get out. And it's, it is, that's, that's just an interesting, you know, dichotomy to look at. You know, if we look at, at sport, that some people get to play it as sport, but some people it's, it's, it's income. It's, it's a way of life. It becomes life. You play with a different energy. There's a different passion. There's a different sense of urgency there. 
Onika, can I, it's, it's such an interesting call out because what it makes me think about is, you know, we have to think about our careers and the things that we do as utilities. So yeah. to your point, the sport is often the tool in our communities and it's the, it's the safest tool in the sense that it doesn't have the same noise, the same restrictions, but when you think about it as well, there's a scarcity there in that tool because even though people can thrive through it, there's a, only a very, very limited percentage of people who, you know, can achieve, can achieve that professional excellence that break that boundary. So, so when I think about, and you, when you think about the emphasis of our society and how much value we put on entertainment yeah we don't what people i think don't realize is that in society entertainment is a tool it, and you know that's another existential debate but it can be a tool of distraction uh a, a tool for other reasons at scale uh which is why these limited folks who are able to achieve that status are yeah. compensated so well because they play a purpose um, so just dialing it back into the whole narrative of the the black and white and what you mentioned about having the grace to actually enjoy play for play's sake. Exactly. exactly. Versus like, hey, I'm now trying to apply for a job and play lotto to be one of 100 out of 10 million that have an aptitude at this thing to start to re- design and and recraft and reimagine a life of success for my family um and 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 that's why in my seat i evangelize this idea of designing and crafting and that there are other routes there are other ways there are other tools expand your tool set so to what you said about both of you said about unlearning um and that's the that's the beauty of it is that you know education isn't an, isn't the direct answer. Um, a degree isn't a direct answer. It's like when you start to look at these different things as utilities, uh, that's essentially what'll make you future fit. And you start thinking about that, like, oh, what are the trends? What does it look like? How can I wayfind to achieve those goals? Um, whereas in our communities, the, the narrative is like, the way you achieve those goals are very limited in, in its logic. It's like sports, something else. Uh, or the idea of the degree, which now has um, diminishing returns, but that's another conversation we can unpack at another time because I'm a big evangelist of the idea that skills, um, rare and valuable skills are are your new currency for, for thriving and you don't have to learn those skills through formal or traditional education paths. Anyway, off my soapbox. No, I, I love it when a new episode spur, just spurs out of the air. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I have one more question and then we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to, I'm going to move out of the way and let, let you two brothers ask each other questions that are top of mind or top of heart. One of the questions that I think, and it may be provocative, I don't know. You know, what are one of the myths, lies, or assumptions that people may have about black or white men. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of of silence there because I'm I'm trying to think of like is my experience representative of the the sort of blanket assumption about my blackness well here i can i can take one my profile and, and it's something that colin had mentioned uh having this experience in the field and what i'm able to do um i bring my whole self i am i am thoroughly authentic in in how i represent myself but that is a choice because i've allowed my expertise and the value of uh, my connections and my outputs to speak for me. Um, but I think when you look at 
my typical profile of young man with dreads and tattoos and all these things that have associations of, hey, is this person aggressive or, you know, there's there's a a, a perception of how you should look and how you should uh, act and how you should speak for what you do. Um, and oftentimes uh, in, in circles that, that are, I'm not known in, people are very surprised about my journey and where I am and what I've been able to achieve because my aesthetic is not necessarily representative of that in their eyes. Yeah, it's funny how the aesthetic becomes a narrative, yeah. right? Or an, a, an assumed narrative. Colin, what about for you? Taking a second to, to think. I would share that I often struggle with the broad sweeping like white men or black men and that's probably part of my privilege that I get to live with uh not having to sit with it so much um but I think I'd offer like what comes to mind is like this change of like introspection happens at an individual level like one by one mm -hmm. and I think it requires having a few trusted folks around you so I think about circles I think about a few core friends that you can have these conversations with and I think about the dinner tables where these beliefs assumptions and biases are pushed further and that doesn't even start to scratch at what Kason mentioned around media social media and these algorithms that are just further perpetuating like people's beliefs uh but I, I think that's what's served me in, in this walk is like having to move through life, not just as an individual, but as like being clear with like who the core few folks are that are in me, uh, around me, and also like relying heavily on the, the family system. Right. Um, Got you. Thank you. All right, you know what? I could like answer, ask questions of you both all day long, but I think it's also important, you know, I, I I posed to both of you, I said, you know, what questions might you have for one another? And so I'm going to yield and leave room for that. So as we turn the tables, Kay, I'll let you start. What is one question that you have for Colin? I, um, I'm going to go with the the fatherhood question, uh, understanding that you are now venturing into fatherhood. I'm wondering how that had, from a position of acknowledged um, privilege and access, given the color of skin, how has your work and now this segue into fatherhood impacted your, your thinking in how you approach what you do. What I do as a father. Yep. Yeah. I think there are like some philosophical ideas uh, and, and things that my wife, Kristen, and I felt like were important. Um, and, and just to share for those listening, like, uh, my wife and I have a beautiful baby daughter. Uh, she's eight months old, so we're still figuring things out. Uh, I I think the practical component is being willing to talk about race and racism before I'm comfortable and ready. And what that looks like in practice is uh, learning as a family uh around like we have a baby book that i've read to kensley uh a handful of times that 
like still I haven't wrapped around, wrapped my head around like what does this actually mean? But when I think about um what would I like about my childhood to be different is if we were willing to have the conversations that were unsettling and, and race is one of them um sooner so that we could get good at it and and learn, get better at it, more conscious about it, like raise that awareness. Um so I think it it's conversation centered. I think the practical thing is like making sure that the the books that we read, the the media that we watch is like inviting us into that conversation. Um and and I also believe that uh the meals that we share together, like the ability to sit at a table, um which our family are of three gets to sit around a table three times a day for meals and have different points of view and engage in, in dialogue. That's like both constructive uh, and like non-judgmental, like it's not uh, interpersonal um, or like the first two things that kind of come to mind. And I, I, uh, with with you having four girls at home, I'm an open book on like how you're you're seeing it from your end, but uh, I won't take your question from you. No, I'm I'm happy to provide some. Let's do it. Let's do it. If you want to start here, let's do <laughs> some, it. Some some color commentary. Um, yeah, I think it's a very it's a very interesting narrative. Um, background about my girls. They they run a range thirteen, eight, six, and two. Um, they're also not fully American, uh, half Ghanaian. Um, so my intention is is for my my children to be world citizens and to not have such a jaded Western centric point of view on you know what it ex how to exist as a um, a person of of color uh, and you know a human if you will. So that's a, a hard challenge when the, the system is not set up to allow for those things. So my wife and I, we have to be very deliberate around what we message, how we message. Uh, we even live in an area now where we move from the city to more of a, a suburban ecosystem where there are very few girls and boys that look like them. Um, so just thinking about how to inject that logic into them, um, when unfortunately at very young ages, they have, they're going to have to go through points of noticing that contrast, uh, forced upon them. So even in creating safe home, I think where some parents miss opportunity is that. It's not only about creating safe home and socializing these ideas, it's also creating the acknowledgement that the world is not going to serve them in the same empathetic way that we are as, as parents. So it's a very tricky um, dynamic, and, and I don't have the answers uh, fully. I'm going through the process, but I know we we try our best through exposure and holding space to reflect um, and, and allow them to, to ask curiosity questions, but also guide those questions um, in a way that allows them to make better choices and become more self-aware citizens and, and recognize that not everyone's going to give them that. Yeah. Global worldview, space to reflect. An appreciation that like the the home system isn't necessarily like the truth when like that hits society. Um, I have a question, but I'm glad I wrote it down. So Anika, thanks for letting me write it down. Um, and it's going to stay on the fatherhood theme, Kaysan. Uh, if you were wildly successful as a husband and father, what would be true? So there are two roles at play that you mentioned. Um, yep. 
husband and a father. So I think as a, a I'll start with father first and then I'll back into husband. Um, I think as a father, I, I represent a very powerful position as the first other gender person that my daughters will love. Um, so my success as a father is teaching them that dynamic and, and representing it and instilling, you know, value and understanding of what it means to be loved um, by the opposite gender so that as they mature, um, they have that self-awareness to be responsible citizens in, in who they choose to align with and partner with and let into their world. Um, that segues into the idea of being a husband. You know, the the narrative, um, I think, for a lot of young boys and girls, and girls especially, is like, you know, uh, marriage and suitors is, is like a destination. It's a goal. Uh, when in, in truth, it's a journey. And they have to see and understand that it's work and it's a partnership and it ebbs and flows and so how I show up in that role with my wife is just as formative as how I show up as dad and the energy they put in, you know, my persona as dad. So I, I see them being very synergistic in ultimately allowing them to be self-aware humans, uh, self-reflective women that can make quality choices in who they let in their circles uh, as they grow up in adult life. Special. That's my answer. Mic drop it. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is so powerful. Um, all of these young ladies are so blessed to have you both. I mean, it's you know, you sit back and you and you you, you can't help but say, "Gosh, I wish I, I wish I had that." <laughs> <laughs> but um, the fact of the matter is, it, it is that it is out there more often than we know, right? The the men that are putting in the work, they're putting in the work, right? It's it's not it's first of all, it's not for punks. Let's be clear, <laughs> marriage is not for, for punks. Fatherhood is not for punks. That's just the truth of it. But seeing and understanding that, you know, these are the first relationships that you see at play, healthy or unhealthy, and it sets a blueprint. And I, I, I love and I honor that you both take it so seriously, whether it's through, like with you, Colin, just sharing about the, you know, a meal and dinner time together. Ritual is powerful. Yeah. Right. And Okay, you sharing that you know you are the you are that model you are who they see and who they either decide that they want somebody to treat them like that or to not treat them like that yeah and that's um that's huge i'll make a point too is like to the narrative and thematically what we've expressed in this conversation around unlearning yeah, uh, I, I I don't want to be remiss to not emphasize that in in the role, whether you're a professional, whether you're a, a parent or whether you're an entrepreneur or or owner. Um, I think we often sometimes carry our traumas and allow them to inform our decisions. Oh, and I'm a big and I'm a big believer that you may not be responsible for your traumas as a child and as you're through your journey, but you are responsible for healing as an adult. And, and one of those things for me in relation to the narrative of fatherhood is recognizing that my self-work is also very, very critical in that narrative because I don't want to pass along those kinds of ideas or I at least want to have the right context. Um, so that way I can help show up for them a little bit better by knowing more about myself. And that all falls into the whole logic of designing and crafting and iterating, which I, I evangelize and I, I stand by. So I, I just wanted to call that out because I think that's a really good takeaway for the listeners 
uh, at least in in my point of view. Uh, I um, I've started uh, walking alongside a therapist uh, around some like identity, self work, trauma, like just things that um, would be useful to to have in my life, like an extra an extra set of uh, brain power and um to what Kason shared uh we did an exercise a couple weeks ago where he invited me to close my eyes and he invited me to picture a younger Colin who was striving who was seeking the acceptance of those around him and to thank him for the reasons why I chose to do that which was for belonging, which was for acceptance. So to thank him and then to say, I've got it from here. So I think in regards to unlearning, I think there needs to be an opportunity for you to share like your lived experiences and and what it is that you're working on have gotten you to this point and to accept it and acknowledge that a different version of you is going to take it further uh, from there. Uh, it was a really beautiful uh, experience for me and something that I hadn't done to date. That is beautiful. It's um, first because I feel like it's a it's a recognition, you know, of that child, right? That has <laughs> has been, you know either believing they had to 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 run our lives or they've actually had to right and so when we when we step into that space and, and Colin you are I'm sorry not Colin but Kay you are spot on this is something that's actually come up really recently even in my life as I've been walking through some things and it's like no we're not re we're not responsible for what happened as a child but we are responsible for who we are as adults yeah you know what I'm saying? That and that's that's the, that's the truth for you, right? Because that's the piece that's like, okay, yeah. yeah, I can say that. You know, I didn't ask to be here. I didn't ask to go through these these experiences. I didn't ask to have this life, this lifestyle, whatever. But that narrative doesn't rock when you're forty or fifty, and you had the opportunity. Agreed. To do and, the work. And in the context of of this theme of. Yeah. of black and white i think it's imperative that black or white or any shade of gray the goal is not to be color blind but to become color clear and allow that to inform oh. your perspective okay so I'm, um i acknowledge the color blind what's color clear i i see how color blind is hurtful mm -hmm. and it misses it what's color clear so for me, the way I would define color clear is acknowledging that the context of your your race is a factor in your experience and that you in relating to others have to appreciate and want to open the bridge to understand the factor for those who may not be of the same shade. Mm -hmm. um, so to the point of this forum that Omika has been gracious enough to to provide, it's like your your whiteness has informed some of your experience. Now, in recognizing your whiteness, I also recognize that my blackness has informed some of my experience. Having that clarity allows me to then open up doors to understand more yeah. about you. Whereas, thank you. No worries. Whereas, I feel like the narrative socially is like everyone let's be blind you know there is no color like and and I think that's a disservice and that's one of the things I want to anchor around unlearning that logic um if you reframe it to the way I have articulated it I think it could be a very very powerful exercise in showing up for others and having empathy and understanding even though you have differences wow that's a beautiful segue we are Going to wrap up soon. I've got one, a, a couple of additional questions from a, a younger member of our audience that wants to posit a perspective from the two of you. Um, yes, this is kind of a um, 
three point three point question. Um, but what are some for both of you, what are some like personal biases that you've both had to confront um, concerning the opposite group, um, concerning race? And then how did that play a role in your experience when it came to your career, your workplace? And then how did you catch yourself with those beliefs expanding into areas that were that, that expand beyond race into other aspects of what make us human? That's a good one. So I've got it captured Samara's, uh, what are some personal biases that that I've had? How has that played out in my career? And how has that gone outside the career? Yeah, so, right. so if you think about it almost as an extension of case point, right? That when we talk about col you know, color clear, color clarity, what, what inevitably comes out of that, right? Is that what emerges or what we uncover are our biases, right? There, there is this, I think, this fallacy that, you know what, all of our biases will go away. And the reality of it is they don't. What it's about is awareness and understanding what the sensitivities are and when you are operating from and in that bias, right? And that's that's for all of us, black, brown. I mean, that that the, the, the level of intersectionality that that touches knows no bounds, right? Um, because our bias was, it's actually a safety mechanism. That's what it was. That's what it's supposed to be and do. Yeah. But when we heavily rely on it and give it permission to skew our judgment or to create judgment is huge. And so I think if we think about that question, right, when you think about bias and, and how you've had to personally, I, I love that you both said how you're doing the work. How have you been doing the work? to heal those places in, in your heart where bias may show up. While, while Colin reflects, I can, I can add a point. Um, I would say that for me, um, Samara, the, the logic that sameness is safety, um, it's not. So the bias that someone who is non-Black is in, by default an existential threat until proven otherwise and someone who is black or brown is a safe common space that i can i can bring my authentic self to so i had to to learn to to deconstruct that through experience um and allow the whole human to show up and look at those indicators to decide uh, whether or not they were someone who should be in my circle versus using uh, the racial dichotomy as uh, an initial tool to judge my sense of, of okayness and safety with them. That's a big one for me. Yeah, I think one for me, Samara, is like the the bias that was part of how I was socialized, which was like, if you worked hard enough, anything was possible. And I think it underappreciates how the system was designed for, designed by and for uh, folks that, that looked like me. And I, I, I think the way that that shows up in the workplace for me is not allowing other people to do my work. So not asking for someone to clarify their position or not asking for someone to explain if we're not in that contract of relationship. Uh, and also like, acknowledging when that's taking place in a meeting that I'm facilitating and making sure that it it is named. Um, I think that's one of the biases that I, I find as a responsibility of mine and in, in the roles that I get to play. Gentlemen, that is powerful. Can you believe we've been... <laughs> 
in this space for well over an hour, this conversation has been uh, just amazing. And, and I appreciate your candor and your honesty. Um, I'm gonna actually close us out with one question. I would love for you to both just take a minute and dream for a second. And you know, if you had the ability to sit down and talk to your 16 year old self, what would you say to him? Okay, we'll start with you. I would say that you should keep going and design your life on purpose. And what I mean by that is by on purpose is give yourself grace to learn and grow and recognize that you're not responsible for everyone else's results. Wow. I think that's what I would, I would say. You would tell 16 year old, okay, you are not responsible for everybody else. Alan, what about for you? Yeah, two thoughts come to mind. Uh, the first is uh, there will be grief and loss in your life and you will have a more clear point of view on what matters because of it. So allow yourself to accept it. And the second uh, comes from you, Onika, and it's been one of the mantras that uh, and in prayers that I've been really? like holding close to my heart. Wow. And it's the idea that uh, to my 16 year old self, it would be you are responsible for seeding and watering. It's God's responsibility to grow things. Yeah. That's the truth. Thank you. Thank you for, for keeping that close. I felt that. Say that. That's a good one. I, I wish I could tell you I remember when I said that. <laughs> like, like, just kiss on that one. Don't remember it. But yeah, there you uh, go. What's what's amazing is that, you know, the heart knows. And and so the fact that, you know, it's been able to take root for you. That's the blessing. And that was the goal. So Brothers, we are at time. I, I cannot believe we've gotten here. We are going to start wrapping up. I just, I can't thank you enough for coming into this space and being open and vulnerable and sharing with each other, sharing with me. Um, again, there are some things I, I, I come away knowing more about both of you and it's humbling that you'd be willing to share. So again, thank you for coming into this space and, and, and honoring how sacred and safe it is. Thank you. Uh, I usually ask my guests before they go, what would be their one word checkout, right? If they could sum up this experience and I'll go first. And for me, it is eye-opening. And that's because, and I guess eye-opening is one word. We're gonna hyphenate that bad boy is one word. And it's because there is, we are living in a world that where assumption has become the truth and the lie, right? We, we, we have given room for assumptions about each other, about people groups, about everything and anything to be the truth and the lie. And the reality of it is an assumption could be neither. So thank you for being willing to explore vulnerably that everybody carries in their heart a narrative and a life that is lived. And that there, again, there, there, there's just more about us as human beings, right? We're not even gonna open the can of worms about the fallacy of race. We're not gonna even do that. But what we will say is that every human being is a heartbeat and that narrative is unique and it's individual and it is sacred. It really is. So my time with you both has been eye-opening. And again, thank you. Kay, I'm going to pass it over to you. What would your one word be? 
my one word is growth. growth. And and the reason why is in this safe space and this reflection, sharing this narrative and these stories and thinking about how I think about it now compared to where I was, it shows me how far I've come through the self-work and iteration. So thank you for allowing us to to share this moment um, with each other. But I see the growth in myself and just hearing the narrative exchanged. And do you give yourself credit for that? Or is it, you know, like, let me just sit in this for a minute and realize, you know, I've come a long way. Yeah. That's one of my, for not to be cliche, growth areas. I recognize that <laughs> I need to do a little bit more of, of that. Um, bring some flowers to myself. So, Colin, what is your one word as we check out? Uh, uh, plus one on that being a growth edge of mine, Kason. So <laughs> best, best of luck. Um, the, the word for me is whole. And we covered a lot of ground in today's conversation because of your vision for bringing two people in your tribe together, Onika. And I think uh, today's conversation continues to deepen my appreciation of the human being's experience is so dynamic. It is. And, and so has so many multitudes to it that I just feel like today's conversation uh, allowed me to feel whole. Um, so thanks for that. And thanks, Kaysan. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Brothers, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been an amazing journey. Uh, and I'm, I'm just privileged to be on it with you both. So for all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for listening in to today's episode of Converging Conversations, mm -hmm. a conversation in Black and White. We would love your feedback about today and what else we can do to create a space to have value-added conversations. How can you stay engaged with us? Please connect with us and the Converging Conversations community. We'll be posting the podcast. It's on LinkedIn. You can find it on all of your favorite podcast platforms. And we encourage you, we invite you, come and hang out with us. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>